Today's reading is taken from Esther 5. Here is the word of God. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in the front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on the, his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out the golden scepter. He held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow, I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wives the rash. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotion with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hang upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Arya. Um, before we jump into that text, I want you to do me a favor. Um, there's this thing called Camp Redeemer next Sunday, okay? And this would do such a blessing to, to Jen and the staff of Redeemer. But if you are planning to come, there is a barcode right there. Please tell us that you're coming and tell us what you can do to help uh, make Camp Redeemer a good experience through volunteering. And so... Get out your device, make a note, do that later this afternoon, especially if you're planning to come, and if you can spare uh, an extra pair of hands to help set up or tear down, that, that would be wonderful. And so um, Jen will love you, and then I will love you because Jen loves you, okay? So uh, this is our, our practice every single Sunday is to open up God's Word, and you, you may be new to the church and new to the Christian faith, and you may wonder, like, why, why do we do that? Why do we open up an ancient text and look at it for, you know, almost 30 minutes? And the reason why we do that is because God, God speaks to his people, and he promises 
to uh, not only bless you, but he promises to be the thing that you, you have been looking for even today, that your soul has been longing to, to get back to God, that, that in, in essence, your face, once it turns towards God's face, uh, is the point of what it means to be a human being. And Esther is uh, about that today. It's about what it means to be favored by God, what it means to have what we, what we call the divine smile coming down on you as a human being. And we actually think that that's offered to you in this, in this exact moment, that you can live your life knowing and being sure that God's really, really proud of you and that God thinks that you're doing a great job in, in every aspect of your life. And that's the reason why Jesus Christ came. Now, we cannot understand that unless God the Spirit tells us that that's true. Like, I can't preach a good enough sermon. We can't will ourselves up enough to, like, believe that. We actually, that, it's a work of God for him to reveal that that's actually true. And so we need to pray and ask that God's Spirit would be present to us and make that, illumin, illuminate that truth to our hearts. And so let's spend some moments in silence, and then we will discuss uh, chapter 5. So let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, would you come now and remind us of the reality in which you see the eternal truth that your kingdom has come into this world, even though the kingdom that we see all around us is uh, silent about you or antagonistic towards you. And we would like to think that that just exists out there, but when we get honest, that that kingdom of self actually exists within the hearts of all of us. And so we come now to be changed by you, and we know that change is scary. Um, we know that, in, in essence, every one of us, to a certain extent, are at war with you, and yet you are the lover of our souls. You are uh, the place where we find our deepest delight. And so draw us back to yourself, remind us what we were made for, and would you do that now in, in an eternal way? In Christ's name, amen. My, uh, my good friend uh, that I grew up with, he was a, a collegiate athlete. He was a football player. And he said that during the very end of his college uh, football career, one of the last games, he was looking up in the stands looking for his dad because he knew his dad was in the stands. And he said he finally spotted him. And his dad wasn't looking at him. But he was looking off at another portion of the field, and he said that his face looked so very proud. Like he was, he was just so like, he, he said, I think he was even like clapping after the game was over, and, and he just looked, he looked at his dad's face, and he's like, I didn't realize this until that exact moment, but that's what I have been playing for this whole time. All the practices, all the games, all the football that I have played for all this time, I was wanting to see my dad's face, that face, look down and be, and be proud of, of what I was doing. Now, it says, and that, that's one of, what was going on there is actually something deeply, deeply theological and profound that the scriptures talk about from the very beginning. It says in Genesis 4 
that God had regard, or his, he, his face was for Abel, but his face was not turned towards Cain. And then it says that Cain's face fell, and he became angry. And what I want to talk about today is the power, the power of what it means to have God's favor. What happens in your life when you actually have that, and what happens when you don't? Because that's what's seen in our text. What happens when you have God's favor, and what happens when you don't? So point one, what happens when you have it? The author is showing us that when Esther takes ownership of being a Jewish person, She's saying, I'm a part of the covenant people of God. Some of you have done that here in this room in front of all of us, and, and it's, been, it's been wonderful. But the moment that that happens in Esther's life, what's, what's going on, the, the text is telling you that she steps into God's favor. She steps into the light of God's face. And she was fa- you see it in, in King Xerxes. It continually says in our chapter that she was favored in the eyes of King Xerxes, but what the author is also showing is that she is being favored in the eyes of God. And when that happens for a human being, you guys, and this is the point, this is the point of what it means to be a human, there are two, there are two results. This is, this is how it manifests itself in our lives. We can take a risk in a wise way, and we can step into our vocation or our calling for such a time as this, is what we looked at last week. And so when you have God's favor, you can take a risk. Look at verse 1. It says that the fast was over. So Esther, remember, she was scared to go into the palace of the king because if she wasn't summoned, that was against the law and she could be killed. And so she asked the Jewish people to fast for her so that she could have courage to do what she knew that she needed to do. And so she takes that risk of approaching the king. And when the king saw her, it says in verse 2, she won favor in his sight. And then he held out his scepter. So that was the first hurdle. She didn't die, okay? And then she begins to plan to save her people in one of the most shrewd and wise ways possible. Feasting, you'll, you'll read, if you read Jewish commentators, they say feasting is, is the theme of the book of Esther. It's an explanation for why the Feast of Purim came to be. And so Esther says in verse 4, uh, let, let Haman and the king come to the feast that I have prepared. And so, that's what happens. She throws a party, she throws a feast, and the king repeats himself again in verse 6. And he says, anything that you want, Esther, up to half of my kingdom, which was an idiom of basically saying, whatever it is, I'll give it to you. And Esther says, this is my desire and my request. If I have found favor in your sight, key phrase, let the king come to the feast that I prepare tomorrow. Now, um, what's going on there is that every commentator says that that is like meant to heighten the tension within the story, and it's a rhetorical device that's uh, going on, which I completely agree with, but I also think we are seeing someone who is truly free, free to take a risk, You know, she had basically said, okay, Lord, if I have to die, I'm going to die. Once you make that decision, you're free. You're free to to wait on God. You're also free to step into risky situations. But how it manifests in someone's life is that she is not frantic 
over what she knows that she must do. I mean, just think about, think about what the king said to her and what's at stake for her people. I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom. I would have been like, well, let's kill Haman. Like, let's get that over with so that my people can be saved. But, but she, she doesn't do that. Have you guys ever been around somebody who isn't in a rush to do something that you think they should be doing? I was at a party once um, with a friend. It was a, uh, a party where we watched a boxing match of Floyd Mayweather. And it was the first, I've never seen a boxing match live, and he gathered all those people around, and it was like a family event for him. And, uh, and there's all these like famous people coming to watch this boxing match as we were watching, a lot of hype with it. And so the, the match starts. I don't know if you guys have ever watched a boxing match, but like, it doesn't seem like a lot's going on. And I asked the, the owner of the house and the guy that invited me to the party, I was like, what? I can't tell how he's so good, Floyd Mayweather. Um, tell, me, tell me why he's the best boxer right now. And he said, he said, oh, he is the most patient boxer ever. That's why he's the richest. And he said he, wait, he, he can wait anybody out, and he waits so long, and then he strikes. That's why he's the best. And that's exactly what Esther's doing. She's, she's paid. Y'all, this is how theology gets lived out in our life. She believes that God is good and favorable to her, and that he's in control, and therefore she can wait. She can wait on what she knows she must do to save her people. She's calm and poised. The, the scriptures aren't cruel, nor are pastors cruel, when we in the scriptures ask you about your own anxiety and your fears. Do you actually think it's possible to not be frantic about your life? We're not, we're not asking that because we're wanting to make you feel guilty about what you feel like you can't control and the scriptures are constant. God's face is pressing in on you and asking you, would you like to be calm? Do you think that that's possible for you? What drives your franticness? What drives your ever-ending, unceasing, what feels like unceasing anxiety Knowing, God that will, knowing that God will ultimately take care of every single thing does change you. It really does. And it not only uh, changes how you operate in the world, um, it actually allows you to step into the midst of the world and to image Him in a very, very confident way. Calm confidence. Esther is showing us how you live into your vocation. When you have God's favor, when you believe that he thinks that you're doing a good job and, and nothing can change that, you can step into the midst of the world and be his image. You can mirror him in whatever sphere that you find yourself in. Starting in this passage, Esther is finally, she's finally referred to as queen for the rest of the book. 
she's Queen Esther from here on out. And there's all sorts of themes from Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis with that. But what she's doing is that she's stepping into her vocation, her calling as God's image, which is what she is and which is what you are. That you are to look like God wherever you go. Not in competition, but in reflection. And the power of that. And so it says, in verse 1, she put on her royal robes. She clothes herself. And once she's taken ownership of being a Jewish person, it transforms how she engages the world. How she engages the Persian Empire that doesn't ever talk about God, that doesn't have any God consciousness. And what she begins to do is that she goes into the world and she grabs the power that's given to her in the world and she wields it for good, for the protection of other people. Now, most most modern people today think that being a part of the church or being a part of the people of God is limiting to your personhood. That in some sense, it's oppressive. It's constricting to who you are as a human being. And what Esther is showing us is that this is not God relegating me into realm so that I can't express myself, but I want you to look at Esther and what she's doing. This is the ultimate form of self-expression, (laughs) because she's revolutionizing what it means to be God's image in the world in a very pagan empire. She steps into her royalty with confidence. You know, whether whether modern people say this or not that aren't religious, that's that's what we all want. And what the gospel is saying is, what you want is God's favor. And to have the confidence... To have, to have a, a calling that you step into for the sake of other people. Not to just express yourself as an individual. You as an individual are meant for other people. To stick up for the lowly. To stick up for those who are about to be annihilated. You're meant for the salvation of other people. And God can work through you when you believe that you have, have his favor. Esther has what the world is after, and she's representing God's people in a culture that claims to not want God. And what's, <laughs> what you see in, in Esther is that she's, she's, a, she's too risky for traditional people, but she's also too godly for secular people. She's hard to categorize when you have the favor of God. And this is what happens when you know that the Lord's pleased with you. You're free to take wise risks and to confidently step into your calling in the midst of the world. And what we see in Haman is what happens when you won't receive the favor of God, when you refuse to. What happens when you don't have the favor of God is perfectly seen in verses 9 through 14. And the first thing that happens is that you become irrational. You become irrational with how you think about your life. And so verse 9 says that Haman, look at how back and forth and erratic he is in these verses. 
Haman went out with a joyful heart. He was glad because he was invited to the feast of Esther. But as he's walking, what does he see? He sees the, the face of Mordecai, and he can't handle it. And he's immediately filled with wrath and fury. But, says he restrained his fury by getting his wife and his friends. And what he did is he talked about how important he was. You know, he talks about, yeah, I, got, I still have a lot of money. I still have a lot of friends. I have a lot of promotions. But even he knows that that's not actually helping. Verse 13, he says, but all of this didn't matter to me once I saw the face of Mordecai. Do you guys have faces like that in your life? When you think about a face, think about a person, it just demolishes you. And it, tri- it triggers you, fills you with anger. When we don't have God's favor, we can consume literally everything in the world, and it doesn't make us any more full. We only focus on that one face that we cannot please. Guys, you know, when we are infants, from from the moment that we are born, they say that the first thing we look for is somebody's face looking back at us. Some of you have had children, and and you know that, that the the infant is, is is looking for another face to look back at it, and and a, a human being, even in its earliest stages, needs that. It needs to know that it's safe and loved. And every single one of us walks around this world asking the question, do you like me? Like, am I enough for you? And we, we, need, we need it. We need these, these affirmations, these voices of affirmation. And that's why the gospel comes in and says, you need to go to God with that. This is why Cain was so angry that he had to kill Abel. Because he looked at Abel and he's like, Abel's got something that, that I don't have. And then his face, it says his face fell. And God comes to Cain and says, if you, if you do well, you know I'm here with you, Cain. This is so important, you guys, that like the, the way, think about the way that Haman restrained his fury about Mordecai in the text. What he did is that he surrounded himself with people who were yes men and what I would call false positives. You, you guys, we all know what false positives are now that we've been through COVID, right? You know, it's, it's uh, something that isn't, it's not of substance, right? That word for splendor in verse 11 actually is the word glory in Hebrew. And uh, that's the word that makes you feel substantive or weighty or like you matter in the world. Like you're not just nothingness. And when Mordecai or when Haman felt unimportant, he surrounded himself with his wife and his friends who functioned to make him feel important. Even though he knew it wouldn't really help. He had, he had to do it anyways because that's how insecure the self is. We have to look for, for positives even if we know that they're false. So maybe, you, maybe you've had this experience. You're out at a, um, a social gathering or party or a restaurant. You're meeting some people there. And you're the first one there. And there's a lot of people in the room, but you're alone. Okay? 
and you have this strong urge to get your phone out because you don't want to be alone around a bunch of people. And so you get your phone out, and then, like, the worst thing happens. Like, you don't have any notifications. No one's texted you. Even work is like, you're good. You're caught up. No emails. And so what do you do? Like, your thumb goes back and checks again because you're like, I I don't want to have to, like, sit here and think about being alone and no one's reaching out to me and what is my life about is what's going on. Um, You don't want to feel unimportant. And so that's part of what's driving our incessant busyness is that we haven't, we haven't really settled into the fact that, hey, you actually are favored by God. And so we have to, we have to like get it from everywhere else. And this is what's happening with Haman. He's, ha- he's having to like grasp. Uh, one theologian says he's an approval suck. You suck approval from every realm and every person that you're around because you forgot that you have the approval of God. And unfortunately, you guys, when we don't realize that that's happening, sin moves from being irrational to being destructive. And this is where it can turn really, really devilish, not having God's favor uh, first makes you angry at other people and destructive towards others, but that wrath eventually will become self-destructive. Evil is, in, in the end, is self-destructive. Haman's name actually means wrath or fury. And so the end of verse 9 would read, Furious was filled with fury. He became what he felt. He became what he gave himself to. Now think about this. Why? Like he's walking by Mordecai. Mordecai is the only person in the entire kingdom that's like not applauding him. Why can't he handle it? Why can't he let it go? He had every he had everything, literally everything except that one face. The reason why he couldn't let it go is because the self can't let it go. The self outside of being favored by God, it's impossible to let that stuff go. And this is actually, this is the scary part, y'all. You know, we talk about God's wrath and and hell being flames. And I think that that's imagery of something far, far worse, of God's justice. This This is so, so very frightening. God's, this... When, when God gives us over to what we most naturally want, what's happening is that a wrathful person becomes so endlessly wrathful that they just destroy and destroy and destroy. And it's not something that God sends us into. It's something that we naturally choose. God deals with injustice by giving people over to what they, they most naturally desire. And I want you to hear me properly. That is what is so tragic about Jesus Christ. God interrupted our own self-destruction by inserting himself into the world. That is what he is doing in your life right now with the things that upset you. This is what's happening on the cross, that God's giving humanity over to what we most naturally do without his favor, which is that we destroy his face, we mar it. 
We look at the perfect image of God and we cannot handle it. And so we consume it. We consume Him. And the beautiful part about the gospel is that that's how God brings His favor back into the world. To renovate everything and everyone. Meaning, the places in your life where you feel the most insecure and you feel the most frantic and you feel the most out of control is exactly where you will find Jesus Christ. Haman had an opportunity to get God's favor and it would have been, it would have been God's grace to him if God had stopped him from his wrath. If God had stopped him from getting the thing that he most desperately wanted. Guys, this is, it, this is where it gets highly personal. What the scriptures are teaching is that if you are fixated on those that you cannot please, if you are fixated on those faces who are always going to be disappointed in you, if you can't sleep at night when you frustrate people, when you disappoint them, If someone says something hurtful to you and you immediately have to surround yourself by people that only build you up and never step in your way, what's happening, you guys? This is eternal. And please hear me. You're being given over to your own wrath away from God. And verse 14 says it plainly. The the only people in your life that listen to you when those people only affirm your anger? Be careful. That's what Haman's friends tell him. Build the gallows. Build them high. Kill everybody who doesn't like you. And the gospel comes in and says, actually, oh dear image of God, you are broken. And for you to get put back together, it's going to hurt. And you need people around you that tell you the truth. And you're not going to want to hear it. Just like an addict doesn't want to hear that they have a problem. And when God comes into your life, just like he comes into the addict's life, you turn the lights on, you're going to try to hide from that exposure. And what God does is is he, he has the power to calm you when you're caught. He has the power to calm you when you're exposed. He has the power to make very anxious people into little sheep that are at rest in his arms. Y'all, this is such a different way to live. And once you see the irrationality and destructive nature of getting your own way, you suddenly realize, oh my, oh my goodness, oh my God, it was your grace that ripped this thing away from me that I really wanted. It was your, it was your grace to expose me. How would I know that these things are free gifts of you? How would I know that they're not my idols unless you take them away? I had a friend once who, she was from the city, and I'm from the country in Georgia. And I don't know if you know this, but like country folks judge city folks. Um, At least I did. And uh, she presented really, really well. And one day, she woke up with this rare form of palsy where half of her face was, to- was totally altered. And um, I, watched, I watched this woman interact with the campus and our friend group 
as if nothing had changed about her face. Like she was still as confident as she was before her face altered. And it lasted like a month. Her face did not look normal for like a month. And I realized like, oh, oh, there's like, she's resting on something else besides her appearance to face life. Now look, something, something right now may be, taking, may be being taken away from you. And the only way you know if you're operating on the free favor of God and not turning things into idols is how you respond when they're taken. And the gospel says there's a way to live that actually you feel more loved and favored when, the, when those things are lost in your life because you realize in that moment that God's really the thing that you're after. He's the, he's the giver of those good gifts that we enjoy in this life. And guys, this is what Paul means when he says you're, you're justified by faith and this is a free gift of God and it's not your own doing. That God's face when he looks at you is not something that you can like do to earn it. And so, for instance, my, my buddy, when he's looking up at the stands, what he what he realizes when you know the gospel is that that's something that I had the moment I was born. That my father was proud of me. That my father is gazing on me with love. And this is the revolutionary thing about being a Christian is that you, you wake up one day and you're like, man, I've been working so hard to get what I already have. And that has the power to make you Rest. Not be incessantly checking your phone, you know? Not be incessantly trying to make enough money. Not be incessantly trying to please your whoever. Because God's pleased with you. And ironically, that's what people need from you. For you to know that you have the very bright delight of God emanating off of you. You want to know how to be a good parent? You want to know how to be a good spouse? Believe that God loves you. Believe that His delight can't ever move off of you. People don't need you to be sulking in your sin all the time. Like, you need to repent of your sin, but ultimately what somebody needs from you is for you to believe the gospel and to step into their life with that courage and that risk that says, and you have the delight of God on you too. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. I'm not any worse or better than you. And so the offer of the gospel this morning to you guys is that you need, you need to come to Jesus, especially if you feel like you are being exposed in areas that you want to hide and things are being stripped away from you. The only place to run to is, is into the favor of God. Not in your own face, but His. And to meditate. What, what if at the end of your life, what you hear from the Lord God of the universe is, I am so very pleased with you. Everything you did was wonderful. Every, every, every single thought, every single word, every single action, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm proud. And he looks at you like my friend's dad's looking down at the field and just so proud. So very proud. That is exactly why Jesus came. And every one of us doubts that that's true. 
That's why the gospel is for Christians as well as non-Christians. And so you may be here this morning and you did some terrible things this week. And you may be here this morning and you think you did some pretty good things this week. It doesn't matter. Look away from yourself and look to Christ for both, for the immoral and the moral. The gospel was open to Haman. And the reason why he didn't go towards God is because he was too focused on himself. And so whether you think you've done a terrible job this week at bearing God's image or whether you think you've done a wonderful job at bearing God's image, there was only one who actually did it perfectly. And that's why we come. That's why we come to worship every single day because we forget it and we think life is about us. And so we need to confess, not out of shame, but out of saying, okay, I'm going to come back to the Lord Jesus again. So uh, I'm going to pray, and Thomas is going to lead us in confession and assurance, and then we'll come to the table. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for um, the story about Queen Esther, because she's a type of Christ. She's a mirror of Christ. She points to Christ. And Lord, uh, you know, it's, it's to imagine you being ripped and stripped of your royal robes is, is terrible. Um, the way in which you were exposed, the way in which we could not handle your face, we could not handle your glory. And yet, even in all of our self-destruction and irrationality and running away from the thing that we need most, um, you draw us back each and every day. And so, Lord, in your kind providence, even our sin cannot outwit you. You are the ultimate fighter. You are the ultimate patient king because you died for us. And Lord, when you rose, you said, this is, this is where the true feast is, in my body and blood. And so, Lord, help us to be found in you. Help us to be united to you. Help us to remember that the Holy Spirit has given us an inheritance uh, in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.